Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, spending time with me today. I've been looking forward to this all day, and here we are. This is going to be a great couple of hours. I'm in Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 2. It says, This is what the Lord says He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So if you need to know something, ask the Lord. That's what he says. Call to me and I'll answer you. So I called uh, Rob Louie and he answered me, which makes me very happy because that's how we get things started on Tuesday. He is from the Daily Signals. He's uh, the executive editor, no less, and he's here on our studio line. Rob, welcome. It's great to be with you, Bill. Thanks for having me back. Of course. So, you know, I was looking at uh, George Washington, who, by the way, pretty amazing president, and he was the he was the only general... That'll never be outranked because posthumously he was given the rank of general of the armies of the United States, making him America's only six-star general. And on top of being an amazing military guy, he was quite the entrepreneur, wasn't he? He certainly certainly was, and I am so so blessed um, to tell you, Bill, that uh, our family lives on uh, his his uh, former property. Wow. Uh, we we, <laughs> we have a placard on our on our house uh, which celebrates uh, the the first president. Uh, Are you and, kidding uh, me? I'm serious. Uh, we we live just north of Mount Vernon, which of course is is George Washington's home, which which is open to the public and available to visit. It's a beautiful estate. And uh, and George Washington owned uh, five farms around Mount Vernon, and so uh, we we live on one of those those farms. And every year, Mount Vernon invites all of the neighbors uh, to to enjoy. And it's mm-hmm. coming up later this month, so wow. I know a lot about George Washington from our time at Mount Vernon. And I can tell you that the attacks that we've seen on George Washington are are just reprehensible. Um, Yes, uh, we all have flaws. We we are not perfect as as individuals. We I think you and I know that. Um, you know, uh, and and there are uh, there needs to be a recognition of that. But at the same time, what George Washington and some of the other founders gave back to this country, not only through uh, fighting and leading us through the the Revolutionary War, having the courage to sign the Declaration of Independence, and then then charting the path forward with the U.S. Constitution was remarkable. But as you say, George, there was so much to George Washington uh, as a man beyond uh, what he gave to our government. And certainly uh, his, his business uh, was, was quite uh, you know, successful uh, at the time. And, uh, and we have uh, not too far from, from the D.C. area uh, his uh, grist mill and distillery, which you can still visit today and, uh, and see how he made whiskey and, and wheat. And uh, for bread. Uh, so, you know, all sorts of things that went into to Washington's life. And I think this is one of the things that, that strikes me as, as so troubling right now, rather than learning from um, from our founding fathers, even the mistakes that they made. Uh, you know, we want to erase history or pretend it didn't exist. And I think that uh, nothing really good comes of that. And that's why 
uh, I think it's so important for parents to take the initiative and do what they can, uh, particularly in this time when our schools are are adapting to COVID. Uh, take take you know the summer months and teach your children about all those great things, uh, those great heroes throughout American history. And I'm in full agreement with you, Rob Louie. And yet I read this, and this is shocking. This is at DailySignal.com. A Chicago lawmaker wants to cancel history classes until a suitable right. alternative can be found. What? I know. <laughs> Speak to me, my friend. What's going on with that? Uh, well, uh, you know, it's uh, it's only a matter of time. I mean, look, there's a number of there's a number of factors going into to some of these uh, some of these situations. I think you now have a generation. Uh, when, when I was when I graduated from from college in the early 2000s, you know, it was it was my generation that was that was I don't want to say indoctrinated with uh, with with leftist professors. And it was required reading you know, when I was in school to read Howard Zinn in the People's History of the United States, which, uh, of course, paints a uh, quite starkly different picture than than uh, what you might typically get. And I think that those who went through college and, and maybe uh, embraced the Howard Zinn perspective of the world or now today uh, – embrace the New York Times and the 1619 project and say the true founding of America wasn't in 1776. It was in 1619, because that's what Nicole Hannah-Jones and the New York Times tell me uh, it should be. Uh, what's the next logical step is to say, well, let's just get rid of all the history classes and civics entirely, and, uh, and, and we'll just do away with them. So it's disappointing. Uh, it, it certainly strikes me as something that um, I hope the vast majority of Americans reject and say this is not the way we need to go. And I hope it's an outlier. But, Bill, I mean, telling you, increasingly, it seems that we're hearing more and more of this uh, from from teachers and, and academics. And I think it's troubling. And it's uh, it's one of the reasons why I think you're seeing more Americans embrace school choice and embrace alternative forms of learning because they're they're fed up. Uh, they're 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 fed up with the school systems because they don't feel like they're serving the students really well as as it is. Uh, they were displeased with uh, the approach that was taken from March until June, and they're probably not too encouraged about the conversations that are going on right now with regard to reopening of schools in the fall. Mm-hmm. Rob, one of my uh, listeners uh, named Art, who's really a smart guy and sends me great stuff, he he said uh, sent me a note today. He said you probably noticed the effects of 50 years of evolution, billions of years, and Howard Zinn in the public schools. So unfortunately, not everyone notices the cause. The atheist Thoreau expressed it. For everyone chop, chopping at the roots, there are thousands chopping at the branches of evil. He's a public school teacher, and he said, I, I, find this, I find it hard to miss. With federal money comes federal control, common core evolution standards. So yeah. what are the standards, you know? It's a great question. It, it, it is a great question. You might remember that there was a significant pushback from the Common Core moms, uh, as, as they called them, uh, pushing back on on some of the, the programs uh, and the teaching methods that resulted from these nationwide standards. Look, the, here's the thing about education, and, and this goes to the heart of what we recommended with our National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. These decisions need to be made at the local level. That's uh, the, the, the parents, the school boards, uh, the principals, those are the people who should be having the conversation. This is part of my frustration with large school districts that, uh, that make decisions uh, for uh, you know close to 200,000 students. It, it's hard uh, when you have that many students who are involved uh, to, to have a one size fits all approach, and yet, uh, and yet, when we had a more decentralized model, because 
my kid's school, uh, which is a public school, was was one of the the failures early on. I think we saw a much better outcome when you when you empowered uh, more of the teachers to make decisions in concert with the parents and uh, take some of the bureaucracy out of it. Uh, you you don't have situations where they're teaching uh, math in ways that. <laughs> those of us who, do, who feel like we didn't graduate all that long ago have no way of, of helping our kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, it can be very frustrating for, for parents. And, uh, and then, you know, to see the, the kids struggle themselves, uh, I think is, uh, it adds to it. So my advice is, is, is simply this, Bill, um, when it comes to making decisions about reopening, I think they need to be made at the, at the, at the local level. When you hear uh, some of those people on the left saying that they need to uh, strengthen the Department of Education in Washington. They need a, a you know nationwide curriculum or standards. I think those things are are bound to fail because what we know time and time again is those best uh, those be- those decisions are best made at the local level, and that's one of the reasons why conservatives, uh, ever since the Department of Education was created, have always resisted this expansion into the federal government uh, because they saw um, you know these concerns are straight out of their local districts and didn't Mm -hmm. want to expose their children to some of the the negative consequences. Yeah. Rachel wrote a great story at the Daily Signal on, um, and I'll ask you this question, do police unions protect bad cops? Yeah, well, a very interesting interview, in fact, Bill. I'm I'm glad you brought this story up. Um, Look, <laughs> we're just, we we go we didn't specifically talk about teachers unions when it comes to the schools but certainly the teachers unions are having a big impact on a lot of the plans to reopen or not reopen uh but then we shift to police unions and uh and some of the challenges there uh, i think that there are some cases that we look at where there are some bad apples in the system and we need to do whatever we can uh to find uh those individuals and and get them the help that they need and probably remove them from a situation where they can um you know, exacerbate the problem and make it worse. And whether that was the case in Minneapolis, I think is uh, is a situation that uh, the, the courts and the jury is going to ultimately decide. Uh, but what we do know is there were a lot of uh, complaints against the officer um, uh, involved in that in that tragic situation. And we know that there are situations all across this country where there are, are cops who are serving uh, in harm's way and in the line of duty uh, who. who don't necessarily who are being tarnished unfairly as a result of some of these bad apples. And so I think sometimes the unions do stand in the way. Um, and it's a situation where we, again, we need to take a close look and make sure that uh, we're doing everything we can to empower those uh, who, who are in a position to hold them accountable, give them the tools they need uh, to, to bring uh, justice uh, to those who need it. Rob, do you think the police unions do more to boost police morale or to suppress it? Well, it's hard to you know paint a, a broad brush over mm-hmm. over every single department. So I think in some cases, yes, uh, and, and I don't want to single out uh, large police departments, but I think sometimes uh, where we've seen some of the the activity take place and in a, in a not so great way, you know, may come from from those larger unions where. Um, where, where the power tends to uh, have a situation that, that might not lead to the best outcome. In other cases, look, the unions are, are, are there to protect uh, in the individual officers. And I think this is the, the, the challenging thing right now, uh, because to say all unions are bad wouldn't necessarily uh, account for those that, that may be, um, you know, trying to help those uh, in, in situations where, where they rightfully need it. 
And uh, you have a situation where it's not as easy cut and dry when it comes to Republican and Democratic politics either. Uh, Republicans tend to be skeptical of unions, uh, as do conservatives. Democrats tend to get union endorsements. Uh, Police unions seem to break uh, differently. So, you know, it's one of those situations where you've seen um, even some Republicans rally to the defense of unions. And I think that can leave some people, you know, maybe scratching their heads and saying, well, are they good or bad? And so what we're trying to do is, is tease out, you know, what, what some of those uh, situations might be, Bill. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, let me take a little break. When I come back, I want to ask you about John Lewis's funeral. I want to hear your perspective on that. Was that a funeral or was it more of a political event? Rob Lewis is my guest. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go to dailysignal.com. All that we talk about is there for your reading and enjoying, dailysignal.com. Be right back. Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal, and Representative John Lewis, God rest his soul, he uh, had his funeral service. Did it feel like a funeral service, or Rob, was it feeling more like a little bit of a political event? Yeah, it, it certainly did have a political nature to it, uh, including our former president, Barack Obama, talking about things like eliminating the filibuster and using some some really poor examples to do that, by the way. Um it's unfortunate, Bill, that uh, that they would use the opportunity to to make those political points. Uh, I, I have no idea what John Lewis's family uh, wanted as, as part of the funeral, but um, but it certainly it seems like a funeral should be a place where you avoid uh, those kind of uh, you know political communications and reserve that for for another day. It was really an opportunity to celebrate John Lewis's life, and I think some of the the speakers who were invited to give eulogies. Uh, took it in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Rob, I'm curious about uh, what is happening with violence, uh, homicides in particular. I, I know they're on the rise in some of our nation's biggest cities. It's really getting quite frightening, isn't it? It is, Bill. Uh, it is uh, It is truly frightening. And I think that it's an area of great concern uh, for for Americans. Now, uh, historically, um, the numbers are, are not uh, as bad as maybe they were in, in parts of our lifetime, but certainly they're, they're really uh, not great when it comes to a recent history. And uh, th- this analysis that, that you're referring to was done by the Wall Street Journal, and they reported on the 50 largest cities in America and found that 36 of the 50 saw a double-digit rise in homicides. Wow, that's huge. It w- huge. Um, in fact, two cities, Austin, Texas, and Chicago, saw their homicides rate, homicide rates increase by more than 50% compared to last year's rates. So it was uh, truly uh, an eye-opening uh, statistic uh, that the Wall Street Journal did in this analysis. And I think it's a, uh, a good opportunity to take a pause and think about what's, attribu- what's causing some of these these problems. Now, uh, I think it's easy to, to point to COVID-19. We can point to COVID-19 for so many of the, the challenges that our, our, our society is facing right now. But I think there are some underlying challenges as well. And, and we've seen this. And look, this goes uh, right to some of the, you know, the Christian teachings that, that you and I believe in. Uh, we know 
that there are, are certain factors, which we call like the success sequence, that, uh, that can lead to a better outcome for, for kids and, and for families. Uh, and, and one of those is having a two-parent household, mm-hmm. uh, marriage. A marriage uh, is, is a significant factor in, in reducing some of these, uh, these, these criminal activities. Uh, finishing high school. Uh, finding a job, and granted, it's it's challenging right now in, in during the the period of COVID nineteen. But there there are opportunities, as we've seen uh, from some of the, the the job growth. So I think that um, defunding the police is the wrong message to take at this this period of time, based on uh, what some of the stats and and the data show us. And let's face it, uh, the, behind every statistic, there's a human life, and we can't forget about those families that have been torn apart by some of this violence, and those who are pleading with these uh, cities, police departments to help out and to, to come and protect their neighborhoods. Uh, they, the, 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 the vocal minority that calls for defunding the police is not necessarily in the position uh, right now of, of seeing their neighborhoods terrorized. Mm-hmm. Robert, let's talk a little bit about wokeness and the dangers of wokeism. This is no longer uh, just reduced to a handful of activists, is it? It's not. And, you know, it was easy to laugh this off maybe a couple of years ago. But now what we've seen is how this has been embraced uh, by a large uh, faction of our culture. Uh, Look, wokeness was was primarily something that you heard on college campuses, uh, maybe at some protests or among that chattering class on on Twitter and social media. Uh, But now, I mean, it has expanded to the point where uh, you can't you can't go a day without reading the news where there isn't some latest example of where this is being uh, championed. And you see this in, in a whole variety of things, particularly in uh, in our corporations and, and corporate boardrooms, uh, where they are doing everything they can uh, to to advance this agenda. In some cases, I think it's uh, serving as uh, when you, when you think about why a business or corporation exists, you would think it is to provide a product or service uh, to customers uh, to to probably earn some revenue. And uh, instead, it seems like today they're more focused on social justice and 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 wokeism and being politically correct. And and here it, here's the situation, Bill. There's going to come a time when when these protesters they might be getting what they want right now from some of these corporations, but they'll quickly turn on them as well. And uh, you see this in the streets of of Washington D.C., where where I recently was outside of the White House, and you see uh, places like the Hay Adams Hotel boarded up with Black Lives Matter placards uh, mm. over its windows. Uh, you see. Um, uh, the Episcopal Church right there uh, outside of um, outside of Lafayette Square with a huge barricade and fence around it. I mean, it doesn't look like the nation's capital in the city that I've known and called home uh, for so many years. Uh, it looks like it's uh, part of a war zone. And uh, it's really disappointing to see so many of these corporations uh, fall for this uh, and not realize what the agenda of some of these organizations like Black Lives Matter really is. Do Black Lives Matter, do they... Are they um, putting their goals forward clearly, or is it hard to understand exactly what what the, what they stand for? Oh, I I think it's pretty clear if you do the research. Um, I mean, and and in in this particular case, this is where you kind of see this intersection of wokeism uh, mixed with you know Marxism, and you we know because they have admitted it. The founders of Black Lives Matter, that is, have admitted that they have um, you know trained in Marxism, and that's the belief that they have. They want to get rid of the nuclear family. Uh, they want to uh, defund the police. 
they really want to upend uh, our, our society and our culture as we know it and, and radically transform that. And so I think that uh, for those corporations that have rushed uh, to give money to them, uh, you know, it's, it's really troubling. You also saw a situation where Black Lives Matter, I think facing pressure, moved away from uh, the, the, the sponsor organization, which has a convicted terrorist uh, serving as, uh, as one of its leaders. Um, and so a, a whole number, a whole host of factors uh, go into this. And it's hard for me to explain why corporations would still decide to put their money behind them when it would seem that the next logical target is going to be the free markets, capitalism, and these very, the very existence of these corporations. Um, and yet still, uh, they're paying lip service to them. Mm-hmm. Rob, what's your uh, take on the cybersecurity battle in, that's going on? Is it getting worse? Better. It, it seems it seems to be uh, the, certainly foreign actors are are presenting uh, their challenges to the United States at this time, uh, just as we saw four years ago. Um, obviously, not not in any great effect to disrupt the election, but I think anytime uh, there's a lot at stake in our country, you're going to see uh, foreign actors uh, trying to to use their leverage to uh, certainly um, you know create challenges for Americans. And so this is something that individual citizens need to be mindful of in terms of protecting their own identity. Identity and their data, uh, you know, having two-factor authentication when it comes to using some of these social media platforms, so your information isn't stolen. Look, we saw not too long ago that even Joe Biden, uh, he, he was hacked, uh, and on Twitter, and as were you know Bill Gates and so many other notable individuals. So it can happen to anybody. Um, but it particularly can happen to our institutions. And I think that that's why uh, whether you're um, leading an organization or whether you're leading a government agency, uh, we just need to be mindful that this is a challenge that, that we're going to confront. And it's, uh, it's an you know, unconventional type of warfare when, when you're talking about foreign operators, but it's uh, still something that's, uh, that's deeply disturbing. Mm-hmm. I've, I read that Netflix has snuck into their uh, s- series that is targeted at tween girls – T-W-E-E-N, tween girls, they've got a transgender ideology that they're sneaking into Babysitter's Club. Yeah, and I didn't watch it, Bill, but I uh, I had my wife I. <laughs> uh, I had my wife check it out just to just to see if um, if if it was true. And we published a couple of pieces on the Daily Signal about this uh, by Nicole Russell and Tony Perkins, and it is. Uh, she said, uh, you know, it is uh, it is there. And as somebody who uh, you know was a fan of the Babysitters Club growing up, um, in her case, you know, she said it was. Uh, it was problematic uh, that they would alter the storyline, but it's not necessarily something that is coming as a complete surprise because we know that Hollywood has been trending in this direction for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to put these types of messages in the program and and also have a G rating on the program and not really give parents the advance warning that I think that they might need to have these types of conversations with their kids before they're exposed to it on television is uh, is problematic. And as you and I have talked about before, you know, with parents working from home and with kids kids not having access to camps or school, they're probably spending a lot more time in front of the television. Uh, and so we're, we're doing all we can at our household uh, to keep the kids busy um, and, and, and virtual camps and things like that. But uh, I know that uh, for a lot of parents, it's, it's tough. And so they come across these things and they're left with questions. And parents are, are forced to uh, per- perhaps confront it at a time when they were um, uh, before they were pre- prepared to do so. Mm-hmm. Rob, you always notice that when somebody says, I don't want to rub something in, they always turn around and then rub something in. Yeah, you know? true. So I don't mean to rub it in, but my twins beat your pirates last night and they're beating them today as well. 
I know they 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 sure are. You know, my Pirates have just two wins on the season. <laughs> it's going to be a long, sixty games. Sixty. I, maybe I'm I'm grateful that we're only having I know. sixty games. <laughs> I know, Rob. Thanks so much. But for my be- peng- my Penguins won last night. That's, That's true. <laughs> That's true. It's a little bright spot. It is. Look forward to talking to you next week. Have a great week, Rob. Thanks, Bill. You too. Yep, Rob Blue's been my guest, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Go to DailySignal.com. I'll be right back with Holly Melton. I always get to talk to so many interesting people, and Holly Melton's one of them. Last time she was on the show, I think I thought about what she said for weeks and months, maybe longer. It was really interesting. So glad to have her back. She is a speaker and author and ministry coach, and she's with Crew. And uh, she's got a new book we're going to chat about uh, after we get through some of our opening salutations. Holly, how are you? I am great. Thanks for having me, Bill. Are you kidding? I love having you on the show. You're, uh, we're so interesting last time. We were talking about, I think, vampires last time. Yes, we were. <laughs> <laughs> and possibly migraine headaches. Yes, I had one right before the phone call. You're exactly right. And it disappeared as soon as we got on the air. It was amazing. <laughs> you were like in a, a state of debilitation, and you said, Lord, I need your help right now. And I, I think it was like two minutes before you had to be on the air your migraine, which don't, they don't go away quickly or easily, stopped. No, I mean, I almost thought I'd have to cancel our interview because I was so on the, on the floor in such pain, and it disappeared. It was amazing. Yeah. So God is good. I, I love the, the miracle stories, and thank you for sharing that, and thank you for coming back on. You've got a new uh, interesting book, Praying with Your Kids Before School, One Verse, One Prayer. And I want to start with talking about uh, just the courage to do that. Well, you know, it started last year when one week before school started, I thought, you know, my kids are going into kindergarten and preschool. They were very young. And I thought, I want them to start their day with prayer to know they can depend on God as they go into school. And so I got a group of friends and I said, let's do a theme a week. I'll find five verses for that theme, and let's pray together with our kids, those themes, into their life. And it became transformational. Mm. And so that's how it went from just one little idea to now actually something to help families disciple their kids before school. And you laid this book out, and it appears to be in, in um, a week at a time, and you have topics for each week. So you, you've really done a nice job of, of having a nice focus every week. Well, thank you. Yeah, the first week I chose be strong and courageous because, you know, being especially in this pandemic and many people starting online or trying homeschool for the first time, so much uncertainty. I don't know who has to be more courageous, the children or the parents, right? So we're even more dependent on what does the Bible say? How can we be strong and courageous, not live in fear and anxiety in this new normal that we have starting this school year? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking to the kids, uh, and you say this, you want to make this a, a daily ritual with them to get their day started and to make sure they have this um, this idea that we're going to start our day in prayer. And uh, let's talk about some of the other, you know, topics that you have. And then if you're going to do this one verse, one prayer, maybe just walk us through one of these, because this is great. Sure, I would love to. You know, I thought about Topics that we might not think about intentionally talking to our children about, but they face every single day at school. So 
One is authority. How do they respond to their teachers and authority figures, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Our hearts and mouths. We need to own what's going on in our hearts and our mouths. Um, Clearly, comparison and jealousy is a big one. Um, Having wisdom and knowledge, um, giving thanks, uh, anxiety, that's a big one. So each week is a topic that I wanted to choose that I thought would truly relate to the child going into school. And so the other thing I noticed is like, Sometimes we read verses, but we don't always know how do we contextualize them to our children. So that's what I wanted to do is take one verse. Like, let's take that first week, like you said, be strong and courageous. Mm-hmm. And today um, I have Psalm thirty-one twenty-four. So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. So we have to put our hope in the Lord. So here's the prayer. I have the older children. I actually split it up with a prayer for older kids to pray or a prayer for younger kids. Like my kids can't pray long, you know, flowery prayers. So here's for older kids. I just wrote, Father, I choose to put my hope in you and not in my grades or popularity this year. Use me for great things as I walk with you and take steps of faith. Hmm. So it's helping them even renew their mind. I don't just want to be strong and crazy, but what, what else do I want to not put my focus on? And for the little kids, it just says, God, help me to be strong and courageous today, knowing you have a plan. You know, just I'm going to trust God with my day. And it's that simple for the little kids. But I want the prayers to kind of disciple the older children as they pray them to make it real in their life. So that would be an example of of what we do. It's just a verse and a prayer for older kids and for younger kids. And so truly it could be about five minutes of your morning. We're Mm -hmm. not talking about some big discipleship thing. We're not saying you have to pull out a Bible and read a chapter. Um, It's just truly getting our minds focused on God before we release them to school or even onto the digital platforms they might be going to school in this year, um, or even before we have to homeschool them, you know, and say, we need to all be focusing on God before we start this, you know? So um, we're kind of in it together. So, yeah. I love that. That's a great example of uh, what's in the book. Now let's talk about authority because what if it, what if your teacher is your mom because you're homeschooling, then what? (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's pretty funny. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, so the second (laughs) week is authority, because I figured teachers need to get that respect, whether it's mom or not, pretty quickly, you know. And I think it's really important, because our culture as as a worldview does not respect authority anymore. They question authority. And so it is a real important conversation to be talking to our children about authority. And so um, some different verses is it talks about like Romans 13. It says, everyone must submit to governing authorities. All authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And so then we can start talking about, okay, but some of our authorities aren't Christian, aren't followers of Jesus, don't respect the Bible. What do we do then? And then we get to talk to them about, okay, you submit to God before man if they're asking you to do something against the Bible. You know, we we teach to them wisdom that way. And so all of that's in my chapter two to help parents think about how would you disciple your child throughout that week when you're talking about authority. And so the beginning of each week, I give just a one-page brief letter to the parents to help them think about the topic and how to dialogue with their child throughout the week on the topic, even though it's not like devotionals every day. It's mm-hmm. just, here's your theme for the week, parent. Here's how you can discuss it with your child. That's great. And so I was, I was going to ask f- for you to give encouragement to some of the parents just on 
making time for something like this. It's not, and everybody's super busy, but this is an important uh, time of the day, and you want to make an impact in a short amount of time. So something like your book would be very helpful because you don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. You've got a topic, you've got a little uh, verse, and you've also got a little devotion to give the kids. So um, maybe you could encourage. I have a listener that's a mom of four, and she mentioned feeling bad that she doesn't have time for regular Bible studies. So that's a busy life. Yeah, it is. You know, I really, what I say at the beginning of my book is, you know, we do need to be intentional and have a plan. And it might mean I have to get up five minutes earlier. And especially if you're not a morning person, it could be really hard, right? That extra five minutes. Mm -hmm. But I set, you can set an alarm and say, okay, the alarm's going off. We're going to freeze what we're doing. Sit at the kitchen table and pray. Or last year, drive, I drove my kids to school. So I did it driving my kids to school. Because, again, I'm not really reading anything. I could read the verse and the prayer right before we drive away in the car. And we talk about it on the way to school, that 10 minutes. Um, so I, I encourage the parents, first, you need a plan. What time are you doing it? So my kids start virtual school tomorrow at 840. So we're going to sit down at 830 at their desk where they're going to start their calls and we're going to go over it together and pray right before they jump on the call. So I will have my book out and they'll be ready to do that. But I think also besides just a plan and a place where are you going to do this? um, We just need to remember that we're not doing this alone as parents. We have the Holy spirit. And so the Holy spirit does not want us to do our mornings alone or in our own strength. He's going to guide us how to do this creatively with our children of all their different ages You know, one thing someone had said is, well, Holly, you've got little ones. That's easy. They're just going to do what you ask them to do. What if you have a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old and you want to start this? Well, I think it starts with vision casting and saying to them, you know what? I'd like us to try something new this year because this is a new year. It's a new normal. And we need to trust God more than ever before, both of us, as we enter into this year. And then if it's an older child that's a little more hesitant, I'd say, could we please try this together for a month? And see if this grows us in our faith with God and in our prayer life together. So it's saying we're doing it together. I prayed too with my kids. I just didn't have them pray, you know. And the other thing is I'm seeing a culture of children being afraid to pray and even adults being afraid to pray. So this is going to help us pray out loud. It's going to help our children pray out loud. And it gets into them. You know, my son, last year, I forgot to bring the prayer once to the to the car. And he goes, Mommy. You forgot our prayers? He goes, now, what are we going to pray before we go to school? I I think we could think of something, you know? (laughs) And then, you know, one of the weeks is on how do you love your neighbor, your classmates, and how do you actually share the gospel? So my my kindergartner last year went up to a bully on on the uh, recess. And, okay, this is not really the best strategy, but for a kindergartner, it was brave. And he went up to the boy and he says, do you believe in Jesus? And the bully said, yes. And he said, well, why don't you act more like him then? <laughs> it wasn't really a gospel message. But I thought, oh, he's learning that he could ask people if they know Jesus. He could talk about, you know, so all that started with just one week of talking about the gospel by one verse a day. And I started to see changes. So, yeah, it, it, I think it, it's just it's changed my kids yeah. for sure in just one year. Holly, may we all have the boldness of kindergartners. Oh, my goodness. It's so inspiring. Just he calls it like he sees it. Yep. I just love that. I'll work on his savviness when he gets older, right? Oh, well, I think he's doing just fine. 
Okay, week five, you talk about comparison and jealousy. How has that uh, changed over the last 10 years, do you think? I mean, well, with, with social media now, it's got to be a whole yeah. different whole different game for kids. That is that is exactly it. Social media and comparison. In fact, I mean, I don't, hopefully parents are aware of this, that, that their children now, if they have social media accounts, they create fake Instagram accounts and fake social media accounts um, so they can have fake personas to see, are they going to get more likes, more attention? Is it going to be fun to have this kind of different identity? Um, and so it's, it's quite um, a confusing and dangerous um, place to be nowadays. And so it is so important for us to help our children reduce comparison and jealousy. Um, and so those are the kind of things we're going to talk about in that week. So like one example is from first Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. And so to talk to them, the prayer here is father, help me to love others by being patient, kind, and not comparing myself to them. And the dialogue, who, who do you compare yourself to in class? What, what do you tend to compare yourself to others? Is it a physical attribute? Is it, is it sports and, phys, you know, your ability in things? Is it your smarts level? And just even seeing what, where are they tempted to compare or be jealous? Are they jealous for things or opportunities? So you kind of get to learn your child through these weeks to help them uncover the areas of sin or needed growth in their life. So you can pray through it with them. And one other thing, Bill, at the back of each week is a whole pray page for you to pray for your child specifically about that topic. And what I did last year is I saw how my child grew over the year through even my own personal prayers that I would write down. And so it becomes a keepsake of you seeing this year how your prayers for your child and praying together change them. Holly, these sound like prayers I want to pray for me. <laughs> yes, they disciple the parent as well. Yeah. It's a little sneaky. <laughs> Sometimes you, you, you just want to make things as plain as possible, and you realize how powerful little plain prayers are. Yeah. I mean, there's one week on forgiveness, and I pretty much say to the parent, you need to wrestle with, are you dealing with unforgiveness And about somebody? Does your child know you deal with unforgiveness? Because they're not going to have the freedom of forgiveness if you are. So there are a lot of times I'm encouraging parents, be with your child in this. Share with them where you need to grow. Take a step of faith. Purge sin out of your life. And I think that vulnerability actually increases trust and respect between a parent and a child and helps you grow together in the Lord. Mm. All right, let me take a little break. Holly Melton is my guest. And if you have a question for her, maybe you've got young ones or maybe you're a grandparent to young ones and you want to encourage your son or daughter in this morning devotion Uh one verse, one prayer. This is a good program. Let me take a little break. We'll come back. But if you have a question or a comment, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. So you're listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That we want to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Well, most of us do. Bill says this week he's only accepting five-star reviews. Either way, you can take the official Afternoons with Bill Arnold listener survey. It just takes a couple of minutes and you get a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Find it online at myfaithradio.com slash survey. 
I'm back with Holly Melton. She's written a book called Praying With Your Kids Before School, One Verse, One Prayer. I'm sure enjoying this, Holly. You're giving some great uh, great points, great ideas, and great encouragement. I think that's what we all need is, is encouragement to get into a regular systematic program that doesn't feel too routine, but it feels like something that the parents and kids want to do together. Yeah. You know, though, I think it's something that you could do in community, too, instead of isolated. So one thing I did was I got permission from my church to invite parents to join me in doing this. And I have 155 families doing this with me just from my church alone. And what my husband and I decided is, yes, it's a new book. Of course, we would love for you to buy the book, journal in it, pray those prayers with your kids. But we also wanted to give it weekly out free if people just wanted a digital copy sent to their email. And so I just wanted you to know that that's our heart is we want parents to be praying with our kids. We are a ministry-focused family. We are not about a money-focused family. So seriously, people can go to our website. You can write this on on your website too, but prayingwithyourkids.com, prayingwithyourkids.com. They can get a free example of the first week if they want to order the book, or they could get free emails every week for this whole school year, and it will give them the book week by week so that they could just pull it up on their phone if they're on the go with their kids as mm-hmm. well. So I just want you to know that's our heart is for it to be freely provided to people um, so they can access it, whatever's best for them. That's great. Now, a couple of weeks that caught my interest, um, and maybe you can talk about this, is it's hard to believe that kids have anxiety. That, oh, yeah. That's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I don't recall having anxiety unless there was a, like a pop quiz I wasn't ready for. But for the most yes, part, this just... Is one of- being at school was fun. Yeah, that is not true anymore. We're seeing anxiety in even the youngest grades nowadays, let alone in, in college. Even when they are young adults and there is so much anxiety, it's just it's the thing we have to confront the most. And so helping our children to not be anxious. And a lot of it does relate, again, to that social media component, that there is so much being thrown at them, as well as so many things they're involved in. Those are the two main things they're saying is creating a lot of this anxiety in our younger elementary age children, is they're in too much and they're seeing too much that their brain can't handle all that. And it creates a little bit more of an anxiety feeling, um, which hinders them from growing um, in emotional um, development, as well as focusing on in school and developing deep friendships. So it is crucial that we help our children figure out if they are wrestling with anxiety. Yeah, this will make me a little bit nervous to say, Holly, but are, is the anxiety that the kids are having, are they learning that from their parents? Are they picking <laughs> up on their parents' anxiety? I don't know for sure. Like, I do think the younger parents, like 30 on down, are dealing with more anxiety, and they are open with that. So their children might feel it. It might be openly expressed in their home, which I don't think is a right or wrong thing. But, um, yes, I think probably 30s on down, there is that anxiety even in adults. Um, but I, but they do say research is more proven that kids are involved in a lot. There's no space for them to just play, to have quiet time, to focus, um, because life has gotten so fast-paced in our American lifestyle. So they're saying that's more the contributing factors to at least younger children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then will you talk a little bit about uh, purity? This is another important topic as kids uh, go back into their social world, and now it's even... Um, more interesting with all of the social distancing and and all of the 
COVID-19 protection that everyone has to have in place, just in terms of kids socializing. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I bring that up in the beginning of my week on purity of we need to be having these conversations with our children, especially if they already have devices like phones and computers, iPads, that we just can't assume that they haven't gotten into observing things that are inappropriate for them or or even ungodly, you know, and, and these addictions, especially in this time of the five months of isolation that we've, we've had, um, is, is way more of a temptation for there to be, especially a porn addiction at a young age. And so these need to be conversations that we can't be afraid of having. Um, and it also, we can't be afraid to now, not just we need to have the conversations, but also creating boundaries within the home. Like my children are already asking, why can't we have a TV in our room? Or why can't we have our computer in a room? Or when they get cell phones when they're older, they won't be in their bedrooms with them. And so to think about boundaries that help us have a home where we can try as much as possible to pursue purity and have less temptation at our fingertips. But I also think it has to do with knowing the apps and um, where students might be going that are unhealthy or unwise. So it's also parents learning what is on their children's phones and things like that. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows it takes, what, 21 days or so to form a new habit. So when you're now three or four weeks into the program, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that kids are starting to get, A, loving this, this, this daily um, interaction with mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or something. I mean, but also that you're starting to get comfortable with praying out loud. I mean, that's something that even as adults, a lot of people struggle with. And maybe they never quite started doing it at a young enough age. That's right. Yes, it does become more of a habit. So much so, it was so cute. My son, at nighttime when we would pray, he started to say every single night, and God, help me to obey the Bible verse that we're going to read tomorrow. <laughs> That's so sweet. He had this anticipation oh my. that we're going to have a Bible verse, and we have to learn how to obey that Bible verse. And so, you know, I just think, yes, you get used to it. And, and now, just think, in one year, my children have come up to me and prayed some of the deepest prayers. And it's not because I taught them, oh, here's how you pray. I literally just read them these verses and these prayers, you know? And the other day I was something overwhelmed about something. And my daughter came up and she goes, God help. She's five. God help mommy to not be um, stressed and help her to focus. I was like, whoa, you know? (laughs) So they're learning. Oh, we need to, we, we need to pray for mom and dad too. Or, oh, you have a headache or migraine. Let me pray over it that God would heal you. And so I think it really has helped because they're so used to praying now that they're praying for us. They're praying for their friends and there is less fear in praying out loud. That's a beautiful thing. And then of course, as we are putting all this together, we want to wrap it up in a big love bow and teach these kids how important it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, and love your friends, and love the people who maybe aren't quite nice to you. Yes. Amen. That's right. I mean, and you think about, you just read that from Deuteronomy, and it goes on and says that we as parents need to teach them diligently to our children, to talk when they're sitting in their house, when we're walking with them, when we're lying down, and when we rise. And so I think about that's what we need to do. How do we ingrain this, not just as a ritual, but so that they have a love for prayer and a love for learning God's Word. Mm-hmm. And I love in the book, Holly, you're going to give a couple of examples of praying very simple prayers, uh, one for maybe the younger kids and one for maybe the, the older kids. And uh, you've done a really nice job. The graphics are nice. Uh, the examples are nice. 
And the fact that you're making this available, come one, come all, uh, that's a great thing too. Remind our listeners how they can pick up this uh, digitally or pick up parts of this for free. Yes, they can go to prayingwithyourkids.com, prayingwithyourkids.com, and there you can get an example of the first week. You could buy the book or you can sign up and get uh, weekly emails that will give you guidance on how to do this every week with your child. Mm-hmm. We just have a minute left, Holly. Would you pray for all the parents facing uh, tension and anxiety maybe about the upcoming school year? Yes. Heavenly Father, we just lift up every family that is listening here. God, we just pray that you would fill them with your peace that passes all understanding. God, you are sovereign. You are good. You are in control. You love them and their children, and you have a plan for them to use this year as a great spiritual enrichment for them and their child. Lord, I pray that if this is something that seems helpful to families, that families would take the step of faith to take the time to pray with their kids before school, that each day we would begin our days with you, God, because you change our view, you change our minds, and you change our hearts so that we could become more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Holly Melton, you're a lot of fun. Thanks for doing the show, and uh, blessings on your day tomorrow, your big day of uh, school starting tomorrow. Thank you. You take care, Bill. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Holly Melton's been my guest, and her book is Praying With Your Kids Before School, One Verse, One Prayer. That wraps up Hour 1. Hour 2 is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to stay in the family zone. Uh, Michelle Watson-Canfield, she's written a book called Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. It's going to be great. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.